welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Turn the Page. This is the Syosset Library's podcast. And today I have a very special guest. First of all, I'm Evelyn Hershkowitz. Syosset Public Library, Rita Services Librarian. And our special guest with us today is Victoria Christopher Murray, who is the co-author with Marie Benedict of The Personal Librarian, which has been a, we can't even keep it on the shelf. It is unbelievably popular. Everybody loves it. I'm just going to give a little bio Victoria, and then we can get into it. Victoria Christopher Murray is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with more than 1 million books in print. She's written more than 30 novels, including Stand Your Ground, an NAACP Image Award winner for Outstanding Literary Work in Fiction, and a Library Journal Best Book of the Year. She holds an MBA from the NYU Stern School of Business. So let's welcome Victoria. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on with us today. Well, thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Unfortunately, I heard Marie Benedict was not able to join us also, which was originally what we had scheduled. Yes, but that's okay. I know I know her part too. You know, we, we've done so many of these together. We tease people and say, the other one doesn't have to be here because we do each other's parts. That's great. Well, you know what? The book was fabulous. I absolutely love it. I actually have one of my book groups are doing it as a book discussion for this month. So oh, I had great. a little trouble getting them all the books because they are so popular. So we had to wait months before I could actually get them enough copies so they were able to do it but I'm sure they're loving it and enjoying it just as much as I did it's an unbelievable story um I'd like you to just tell everybody what it's about please okay and well it is about it's a biographical novel and so a lot of people uh, may have never heard that term before because it's kind of relatively new that a lot of people are doing this we're taking the life of a real person. Uh, Belle de Costa Green really existed and the meat of the story is true. But because we don't have conversations, we don't have, we don't know what people said, their conversations weren't recorded. It is fiction because we connect the dots, I say, with fiction. We, the dots are the truth. So I just wanna start with that. So the story is of Belle de Costa Green who helped J.P. Morgan amass his amazing collection of rare manuscripts and art. Um, And she did this in the early 20th century. Um, As his personal librarian, she became one of the most powerful people in New York, definitely in the art world, um, because as she became more and more successful with J.P. Morgan, he allowed her to do whatever she needed to do. She really ran that business. And she came from very prominent family, especially on her mother's side, but no one knew until Belle de Costa Green passed away that she was black. I was gonna ask you, that was one of my first questions. When did it come out that she was not a white woman? Yeah, so there were always rumors about her, but I don't think the rumors were that she was Black. 
Um, because remember, we're looking back now 100 years. So there were not the terms mixed race and biracial. Um, there was a term mulatto, but it was used mostly in the South. So there were always things about like the texture of her hair and the uh, her, her dusky, that's what they used to say, complexion. And people wondered if she was really from Portugal or uh, her ancestors, or was she really Cuban? Always rumors. And then um, people started digging into um, her background, not on purpose. I think the definitive thing happened in the 80s when her father, who was Richard T. Greener, he was as famous as Frederick Douglass during his time. He was the first Black man to graduate from Harvard and was an, um, he was an activist for civil rights. He was very involved in the civil rights um, movement and the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And he and his wife ended up separating because they had different views on how to protect their children. Um, and so he passed away and there were lots of his papers found in Chicago. And so historians were very interested in Richard T. Greener. And they began going through his papers as Richard T. Greener, not as Bell de Costa Green's father. And they discovered information because that's the one thing she couldn't have done. She could, if they, if they ever made that link, she was black. And so that's when the link came out. But still, it took many more years, and it wasn't until her definitive uh, biography was written in 2007 um, that they all of the dots were connected. And it's been that recent. It's been um, at that time when even the Morgan Library finally acknowledged that she was Black. Yeah, I mean, she was an amazing woman. I'm absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, she... I mean, her mother, her mother was a great woman also. Yeah. I mean, and they were a very, they were a very bright family. I mean, her brother went to Columbia and he yeah. also, you know, got his degree in engineering. So they were very well educated. She was at Princeton before she. Yeah, before she came, came there. And that was her family. On her mother's side, they had been free Blacks for generations and Every adult in that family, when they became of age, was educated. They were all, the women were all teachers and the men were all engineers. Wow. And, um, you know, all very, you know, co college educated, all well-educated. And then she came from her father's side, who he was the first black man to go to Harvard. And he was an amazing speaker. And if he had had anyone to carry on his legacy, the way Frederick Douglass had his wife who carried on his legacy, um, we would be speaking about Richard T. Greener today in the same way we speak about Frederick Douglass. So she came from this very bright family and she really, um, really followed in her father's footsteps. Her father, when he went to the University of South Carolina, was a librarian. I mean, he had his law degree as well, but he um, became a professor there, became a librarian, and she got her love of rare manuscripts and art from her father. And she was the only child who followed him that way. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting what I loved about the fact that she had that art book from yes. Bernard 
And then that's she actually true. met him. I mean, that was true. That was the actual. That's, that part's true. She got that book when she was 10 years old. We yeah. don't know if her grandmother gave it to her or if her father gave it to her. Um, the, from everything that we read through, um, they were saying that it was a relative close to her. And we know that her grandmother knew her love of art and her father did. So for the book, we just said it was her father. Um, but that part's true. And then she meets, so she was 10 and then she meets this man, Right. you know, these, all those years later, about 15 years later. And then they begin this amazing, I was, I will call it a love affair because that's what they called it. Um, but it was an interesting dysfunctional relationship to me. Right. Definitely. Well, I mean, you guys had no idea what really went on between them. So most of it was fiction or. Mo well, we have Did you have letters. We, we have letters. Okay. okay. We have letters. And so because of the letters, then we can extrapolate what, what happened. And mm -hmm. um, we also know that his wife was very supportive of their relationship. She once told someone, and this is true, that she felt that Bill the Costa Green was the love of her husband's life. Wow. But I can't she, even imagine such a thing. Well, she was married. And then she started having an affair with Bernard and then she uh, ended up. Bernard. So it was just, um, just uh, such an interesting time. You yeah. know, you look back at that and you're thinking a hundred years, they're all proved. I'm telling you, Evan, Evelyn, there were things that we discovered that had me clutching my pearls. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. I mean, even that whole situation with yeah. the wife and Bernard and, the wife being, we have letters where she was saying, you've got to come back to him. He can't live without you. From the wife to Isabel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you know what? I loved, I absolutely loved the book. But what I loved so much were your notes, the author notes and the Everybody. historical <laughs> note that really like spelled out what was fiction and what you what was really true and what you had to kind yeah. of change dates to make it go with yeah it. yeah you know, I, I love yeah. that and since it is fiction we're able to do that I remember one thing was um we really wanted to talk about when when Belle and her family went back for her grandmother's funeral which was true In but Washington, we don't know we don't know what was said we don't really know her reception mm -hmm. we just um had to extrapolate what we knew about that family and what we knew about Belle. And we could see that family saying, really, here we are educated and you're trying to deny us. Right. So we could see that happening. And um, in one, we wanted her family to know about a wedding. I can't remember whose wedding it was, but the wedding didn't take place till after the funeral. So we just kind of moved up the date a little oh, okay. bit. Well, but then we put it fun. in the author's, but we put it in the author's notes. Yeah, no, which was great. It was great how it explained things and how some things took place at totally different times, but it was, yeah. you know, and what about all the, her dresses and the way she dressed? And, <laughs> I mean, well, you, you know, know we, made that, that? we made that a big deal and yeah. everybody just loved the fashion, mm -hmm. just loved the fashion of it. Um, what we thought, again, we had to extrapolate because we don't have any letters or anything about how Belle felt about passing. The only thing we have is who she was, what family she came from, very proud. So we, and, and we also know that her mother and father were in South Carolina 
right during Reconstruction. And then when the Civil Rights Act of 1875 was overturned, then they were almost run out of South Carolina, wow. like by threat of lynching. And I can imagine that switching her mother, Genevieve. I could see her mother saying, I, her mother saying, you know what, we tried. We tried mm -hmm. to fight for our race, but her mother saw the writing on the wall mm -hmm. and she saw what was to come. And she said, it's not gonna be good for black people in this country. And since we have this complexion, let's use it. And her husband, we can imagine her husband who was a civil rights act, big activist, saying, do you want, do you remember how you got this complexion? It wasn't through any kind of love. It was through the violent act of rape. Right. Um, and so the, all of that we had to imagine, um, but we, we, we think we would bet that we were pretty close, you know, just based on trying to write the truth of who we thought she was based on what we knew. Right, of course. But that love affair, back to that again. <laughs> that, was just, that was just too much. But then you wrote in the historical notes, I believe, that that affair actually went on much longer than you yes. guys put an end to it. You put a yes. combined so we Okay, so there's one big part in this book that's totally fiction. Yeah. Like everything is always based on something, except remember when she's in London and she's like, and he doesn't show up again. Twice, and yeah. so- and so she gets to get in her Rolls Royce and drive away with the exhaust in his face. And, and him still screaming him. after her. Yeah, screaming, Bell, Bell, and she doesn't look back. Right. We wrote that, that's totally fiction. We wrote that for us. Okay. Because Bernard was getting on our nerves. The I truth can... of the matter is, they stayed together until the day she died. She died before he did. Oh, boy. Yeah, and we, we couldn't write that. We just couldn't do it. He was getting on our nerves. How old was she when she passed? She was in her 60s, young, relatively she young. Was young. 60s. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Have you been? I'm. I'm assuming you've been to the Morgan Library numerous times. A million times. Well, yeah, I got to get that. Um, Marie has been there a million times. I've been there for. I, I went with Marie right before we started writing this book. Okay. And then, you know, this was a Good Morning America book club pick. Of course, yes. And so it, um, we had our interview with Deb Roberts in the Morgan Library. Oh, that's fabulous. I'll have to find that on YouTube, I'm sure. Oh, it's yeah, it's on there. It's only like five yeah, minutes. But besides for being a Good Morning America book club, it was an instant New York Times bestseller. It was named a book of the year by NPR, named a notable book of the year by the Washington Post. And then Good Morning America said historical fiction at its best. The personal librarian spins a complex tale of deceit and allegiance as, did I say that right? Allegiance is told through books. Yeah. So, yeah, a fascinating story by Real Simple. It really was. So how did you and Marie get together? So Marie, had, Marie has been writing historical fiction. Um, that's, that's her thing. And I've been writing contemporary fiction. And when, Marie, so Marie has been writing these biographical novels of people, of women who've been, their stories have been erased. Mm -hmm. um, they've been lost in the folds of history. Right, I've and, read a few of her books. They're very good. Yeah, and so she's been writing about that. And she always, when she used to visit the Morgan and she found out about Belle de Costa Green, and then later on when she found out that Belle de Costa Green was black, she always wanted to write her story. But as the more she went into it, 
the more she felt that she really couldn't write it alone. She felt that Belle's story deserved to be told um, by a black woman as well. And so she read, happened to read one of my novels, Stand Your Ground. And I, it was a novel, but I wrote it from two points of view. I wrote it from, um, a, it, it was about a young black boy who was unarmed and was shot by a white man, but it's a novel. But I wanted to take a different perspective. I wrote it from the perspective of the black mother and then the white wife of the shooter oh, and wow. how their lives come together. Um, and so people just thanked me so much because they said they had only ever seen, you know, the black mothers on television crying, but more than one family is destroyed with that. And so when Marie read that, she said that was just so fascinating. And she loved that I told the story through the eyes of women. So then her agent contacted my agent. She had put together like a three page treatment synopsis of what she wanted to do. But my agent just told me to read it. She didn't tell me what it was about or, or a collaboration. She, she just said, that I, there may be an opportunity for you to do something with this author, um, read what she wants to do. And Evelyn, I, it took me three months to read it because oh the, first, the first page was just about J.P. Morgan. Okay. And I wasn't interested. I was like, what? And I could, I kept looking like, why but would JP this? JP Morgan wasn't a big fan of Jews or Blacks, so. Yeah, so I was like, what is, and, and then I looked up Marie and I was like, does she know that I'm Black? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I thought maybe she had gotten me mixed up with someone else. I didn't know what, it didn't even make sense to me. But then when I, my agent kept pushing me to read it, because like I'm saying, oh, I'm too busy. She's like, you're not too busy to read three pages. <laughs> So finally, I forced myself to read three pages. And then on the second page, it got into Belle de Costa Green. Still, I said, okay, at least this is interesting. And I always tease Marie right now because she and I are like sisters now. But the last paragraph said, no one knew Belle de Costa Green was Black until she passed away. And I sat up in my chair saying, oh my God, I hope I didn't miss this. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then I ran to the telephone, told my agent, started looking up Belle de Costa Green. And that's how we ended up together. That's great. I'm glad you guys are so close now. What was your writing life like for the two of you? It was, I love writing with Marie. I like writing with Marie more than I like writing by myself. Um, when we would talk, because people say one of the things they like best about this book is that it's seamless. Mm -hmm. They can't, you can't Absolutely. tell who's writing what. Not and at all. So that's because we discussed every chapter. We would discuss like five at a time. We kind of knew where we were going, but five at a time. And then, I mean, discuss it in detail. So, you know, we know she has to be introduced at Princeton because it was very important. Princeton was the only Ivy League at the time that did not allow any Blacks in there. Woodrow Wilson was the president of Princeton and at that point, and he didn't even have black people as janitors. He was one of the biggest racists around. Wow, that is so. Just... Was very important for her to come from Princeton because that's how everybody would assume she was white because no black people was there. Ooh. So we knew we had to open it up. And so then, after we talked about the chapters, then one of us would 
say, okay, if it was about Belle and her family and her inner thinkings, I would take that chapter. And if it was about the art history and everything, then Marie would take that chapter sometimes. But whatever we did, we would write it. That would be the foundation. And then we would switch and give it to the other. And mm -hmm. so then I would write in, Marie is just wonderful with the language of that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more detail oriented with the dresses and um, the little details of history. And so it was just like, we fit together. Marie always says we, have, we fit together like a glove, you know, just the two of us. And so no one would ever, because we, to me, we wrote every word of this book together. That is lovely. That is such a great, that's a great story on its own. The fact that you guys yeah. did it together like that. Yeah. Whenever we speak together, we was, we were in New York um, a couple last week um, at a poets and writers um, event. And they were like, you guys should just write a story about how you work yeah. together. Because people say, and we were like, that won't be interesting. We got to write about the interesting people. <laughs> so um, we just finished our second book. And oh my gosh, that's fabulous. Yeah, we just finished it. So what, what is that about? Can you tell us? It, or we're not? Yes, it's called okay. First Ladies. Oh. And it's the story of Eleanor Roosevelt and her friendship with Mary McLeod Bethune. And they were best friends. And a lot of people won't know Mary McLeod Bethune, but she was probably the most powerful Black person, not man or woman, in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. She was the first Black woman to be on a cabinet, and she was part of FDR's cabinet, but only because of her friendship with Eleanor. And it was very important. I always say um, that Eleanor Roosevelt was the first ally. Um, I'm sure she wasn't, but she was really the first public ally. Okay. It was very important to her that white people saw that her best friend was black. Oh wow! So she would do things like um, when when Mary was coming to the White House, she'd meet her in the driveway and then link her arm through hers, and they'd walk because white people weren't even supposed to touch black people in public. And then she would do one of my favorite things. It was one of a great scene to, to write was Eleanor, when she became the first lady of the United States, because they met when she was the governor's wife in New York. Um, she would go to a restaurant and bring Mary along. Well, no one was going to say, you know, they would say to her, we don't serve Blacks here. And she would be like, I'm Eleanor Roosevelt. You're going to serve me here. Right. And so they'd be like, all right, all right. And then she would request the table in the window. So everybody could see. Everybody could see. And she had already called. She had a group of women paparazzi people that followed mm -hmm. her. They were the first. And so ahead of time, she would tell them where she was going to be. Then she and Mary would sit in the window and eat. Now, interesting things happen. People would come and picket and protest, but the reporters were there as well to, so it could be on the news that she was having lunch with a black person. What a wonderful woman. Yeah, it, there, I mean, there was a big newspaper article on her shaking Mary McLeod Bethune's hand in, in public after an event and it was something that she and Mary planned mm -hmm. um, to do together. And so, and, and it was, it's an interesting story because when they meet, 
Mary McLeod Bethune was already a millionaire. She was already, already this activist. She was considered a celebrity. Um, in fact, when I was growing up, if I could remember, she was probably, probably, she was already dead, but she was probably the first famous Black person I knew. And I was oh, like wow. eight or nine years old. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, so she was really big in a, in the Black community. And, and so that's how she met Eleanor, because they both had this focus on education. There's a college, Mary McLeod Bethune started one of the HBCUs, Bethune-Cookman University. Where is that located? It's in Daytona Beach, Florida. Oh, very And nice. she's, um, this week on Thursday, tomorrow, um, Mary McLeod Bethune statue will now be in, in Congress, in Statutory Hall in Congress. Oh, so there's wonderful. a lot of big events around it. Are you going to be there? No, we're no. not. We tried to get tickets and the president of the university who knows we're doing this book because I went down there and spent a couple of days yeah. trying to get us tickets, but it's so limited, you know, to go, going into Congress. They're keeping so few people. Oh, that's too bad. That would have been a great photo op for you too. That would have been. That would have been. That would have been nice. So when is that book due out? Next summer. Okay, Next. great. So a year from now, it'll be out. That's wonderful. That's, wow, you guys, that's great that you have like a series going almost. Yeah, because we've already signed a contract for our third book. We don't know yet what that's going to be. Wow. But we want to keep, you know, one of the things that we've enjoyed with the personal librarian, and it's going to shoot into the stratosphere with Eleanor and Roosevelt, is that we've enjoyed the, the white book clubs and the black book, book clubs who have come together Right. Um, uh, to read these books and they have different, you know, ideas, like a lot of white people didn't know about passing right. and a lot of black people don't know anyone, don't have it. They at least know one person in their family who's passed, like that's a big, so it's so interesting to bring these conversations mm -hmm. together. Right. And that's what um, we hope to do with the books we write. I'd love, to, I haven't done a book discussion on this or been at a book discussion. I would love that. I mean, I don't want to yeah. discuss it here because we don't know if people that are listening have read the book yet. Yeah. So anything away, but I think it's a fabulous book discussion book. There's no doubt about it. And one other thing I want to mention, I saw on your website that your books have become movies. Yes. And that's great. Congratulations on yeah. Lifetime. Yeah, and also- the personal librarian has also been optioned, I've heard, yeah. right? An option to become a movie. Yes. So I, I'm a contemporary writer when I'm not writing historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a series um, of books called The Seven Deadly Sins, Lust, Envy, Rap, and Greek. So last year, Lifetime did Lust and Envy, the first two books in um, in the series. And this past April, they did Wrath and Greed. That's fabulous. And I just sent in pride yesterday uh so they'll be doing pride next year i don't think we're going to continue with gluttony and sloth they're not as sexy as those other titles <laughs> you write the screenplay uh, no no okay. but i have been on the set so that's been fun i'm, I'm a consulting producer oh, so i love that so i've been i wasn't on the set in the first two because they were filmed during covid Oh. Um, but then the second two, we were able to go up to Vancouver and it was exciting to be up there with that. That's wonderful. Now, what about where is the personal librarian? And so the personal librarian has been optioned to become a movie by Al Roker. 
Wonderful. Entertainment. And what I love about what he's thinking about is not for it to be a movie. He'd like for it to be a mini series, like six, six episodes. Sounds so like a great idea. Her whole life. Right, right. Oh, that would be so nice. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Did you always want to be a writer? I've wanted to be a writer since I, that's the only thing I wanted to do when I, I always tell people I came out of my mother's womb knowing I was going to be a writer. And when I was seven years old, I wrote my very first masterpiece. And a lot of people think that you can't write a masterpiece at seven, (laughs) but I did because I plagiarized. I wrote something called Betty and the Witch. And it was about a little girl who had a school uniform that was red and it had a hood. And she had three bears for brothers and three pigs were her sisters. (laughs) And then next door, their best friends were seven little people. And I had, a, I threw a good witch in there. I don't even remember what the witches were in there for and the bad witch. And that was my story. And my mom gave it to my teacher and my teacher loved it so much that the entire second grade performed it as a play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's one of my earliest memories in life. Like I remember the teacher saying to me that I could play anything I wanted since I had written it. And then I remember a little bit of the rehearsals. I don't remember them much, but I remember the actual performance. And afterwards when they, I wanted to be the witch. So I came out as the witch. And then they said that the witch was also the writer. And I remember the parents just being like clapping and I just loved it. And I was so wonderful. And recently I talked to my mom and I was like, man, my teacher's name was Mrs. Asnes. And I really wish she knew what she had done, what she had created. And my mom said, well, let's just hope that she does, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful story. I love that. That's fabulous. Oh my gosh. That's great. I wish, yeah, I wish she was around so that she could see your success. So that she could see what she poured into me. You know, I, I wanted to be a writer. I just started writing at seven. And one of the things that made me start writing was my parents took us, my, they would take turns um, taking us on to the library every Tuesday. I'll never forget that. And I was determined to read every book in the children's section. I was determined. I was going to start at A's and just go down. But in those days, we could only take out two books a week. We could only take out two books a week. And so by the time we got home and by Wednesday, I had finished my books because that's what I love to do more than anything was to read. So I started writing my own book so I'd have something to read. And my sister, who is as as cynical today as she, I was eight and she was six and she was like, that's stupid because if you write your own books, you're going to know the ending. (laughs) <laughs> and I always say to people, she almost ruined my career because I remember thinking that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but I still wrote anyway. Wow, that's good. But you went to business school. I went to business school because even though I wanted to be a writer, I didn't know how to do it. Like I, I was dreaming as a child. And then you get to be a teenager and you have to be practical, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my parents are saying, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going And so there was not, I didn't know at that time um, that if I wanted to be a writer, what, there was no, I had never met a writer. There's nothing like what there is today. Um, And so people say that they were surprised that I didn't do journalism. But when I, 
when I saw journalism, I thought of television. I never thought of newspapers. I, yeah. I thought of the people on TV doing the news. That's what a journalist was to me. Um, so I didn't make that connection. And so in undergrad, I majored in communication disorders. And the only reason I chose that major was because as I was going through the book um, of, you know, what subjects, I had never heard of that. That was the only, I said, I heard of math. I don't want to do math. I heard of yeah. English. I don't want to do English. I heard of journalism. I don't want to do so. Communication disorders was the only thing I never heard of. Um, it's so crazy that you have, to, you have 17 year olds picking right. careers on what exactly. they want to do for the rest of their life because they go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Right. you know, unless you want to be a doctor your whole life. Um, and then I went straight to business school because I didn't like communication disorders. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And um, so then I spent many years in business, which I did love. And I'm glad that I did take that route because I think it's helped me as a writer mm-hmm. in terms of the people I create, the um the careers they have, the, the strong women I met in business, and writing is a business mm-hmm. as well. So I'm glad that I do have that background. Good for you. That's wonderful. I'm glad you have written this book because it's just so wonderful. Oh, thank so we you. Look, we look forward to the miniseries by Al Roker and his wife, yeah. Deb Roberts. I'm sure she yeah. has something to do with that production. I, she had a lot to do with it because... <laughs> Um, when she interviewed us for the Good Morning America book club, um, I remember saying to Marie, my goodness, I didn't think we would ever meet anyone who likes the book more than we like it. <laughs> she loved this book and she's right. been so supportive. And I think she told her husband, you've got to read this. Mm-hmm. And because he enjoys historical fiction as well. Right, right. And so- He went to school then- where I went to school. So I, I, I oh. love Al Roker. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. That makes it even better. Yeah, we have, you know, we're both alumni of Oswego State. So we're both, we're, yep, wonderful. I I look forward to that. I think it'll be great. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on with us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This was a great discussion. You were so excited about the book. So that always, yeah, I just want to let everybody listening, Syosset cardholders, patrons of Syosset. The book is available on Overdrive, so you could have it as an ebook or an audiobook. And also, we have it in print. You may have to put it on hold in all of those venues, and but we will get it for you. It's not a problem. So please let us know if you're interested in reading it. We'll make sure to put you on hold for it so that you could have a copy. So thank yes, you so the audio, much. The audio is fabulous. The audio Rather is very good. Yeah. Very good. Very well done audio. I love audio books. And that this is a very well done audio. I love yeah. it. I did. But I like to read and listen. I like to get both. That's what I do. I read and listen at the same. So yeah. when I'm out walking, I will right. listen to it and then it picks up and I can just right. read. That's yeah. what I do. Right. I can't sit in my driveway all night. I got to get in the house <laughs> and keep reading. So I, I love that. So, yeah, so we're going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Sayasa Public Libraries podcast. I'm Evelyn Hershkowitz, Reader Services Librarian. And I just want to thank Victoria Christopher Murray for being here with us. The book well, is The Personal Librarian, and I highly recommend it. So well, thank you so much, Evelyn. This has been a pleasure. Thanks. And hopefully next year when your book comes out, we'll talk to you and Marie at the same time. That will be a let's make that a date. We'll yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. 
Join us for the next episode.